On today's episode, please welcome back Trevor Boswell, Chairman of the Contract Administration Committee, discussing the excitement and disappointments of advance and title. Here's your host, Ryan Argento. Back again, another episode of Engage. Here again with Trevor Boswell. He's the Chairman of the Contract Administration Committee. Trevor, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Ryan. Today, we're talking AEs, advanced entitlements. They affect everybody. It is your opportunity to use, as a good friend of mine always says, the currency of your seniority to make moves. Whether you want to upgrade to captain, you want to change bases, you want to change aircraft, that is the method for you to do all that and to use that currency of your seniority. And today, we're talking the mechanics of AEs and answering some specific questions that are pretty common in the pilot group. Trevor, can you give us the broad strokes, give us an overview of the AE process and and really more interestingly, what happens before an AE is even published before we see it? Yeah, sure. Leading up to the release of an AE, so crew resources is going through their metrics. They're working with networking. They're working with whatever marketing plan they have in effect on the company side. They're going to make a determination as to for this time period, because again, AEs happen, but you don't see the results of that for a good four to six, eight months, depending on how long the conversion window is. So they're looking well in advance. And a lot of the time you'll see when you go into the AE document for the uh, bid release, why they're making that change. There's a table towards the very end of it that'll tell you why they're making the fleet change that they're making or offering that our positions are making and so on and so forth. That is what they are doing on their side. And then it comes to us, we get a draft copy of what they're going to release typically the next day. And we can make any comments or changes, adjustments, or make note to them that we see an issue with it. 99% of the time, we don't see any issue with it. And it really gets released as they see fit, but there might be something here and there that we catch randomly. Typically nothing major. And if it was major, then it would probably delay the release of that AE anyway. But most of the time it goes as scheduled and it typically gets released at 10 a.m. Uh, on one day and then uh, goes and they'll give you the start and the end date of the bid window. And then it will also include, obviously, all the positions that are available. It will give you the considerations and everything, like we said. It'll tell you when that bid is over and some of the other considerations that you need to have when you go to bid, i.e., if you're going to be bidding for something and you get awarded it, you need to expect to go to training. That's the baseline expectation. That's that whole adage of want what you bid and bid what you want. That is exactly aligned with what you should expect. If you put something on there and you get it, Option to bypass is an option for the company to execute. It is not a mandate. There are some triggers that if they do bypass some pilots, they will have, or one pilot, they have to do things for other pilots. But again, bypass has probably been one of the items most recently as the AE frequency has uh, picked up. Do not expect to do bypass. Hope for it, but don't expect to do anything other than go train and get aboard something. And once that bid closes, then they have however long it takes them to figure out how they're going to uh, award that, that AE. And then from that triggers, the start of any category freeze associated with the, the respective awards. Yeah, great point on AEs. More frequently, they're coming out every month now. Crew yep. resources have determined they like that style. It, I think it works well for the pilots, gives them more flexibility. And yeah, want what you bid and bid what you want or the other way around. But that's important because the past couple of years have shown people are getting exactly what they want. Captain awards that you're like, man, I never thought I was going to get that. I just had it as a standing bid. Definitely be cautious of that. Uh, bypass is a big topic. It used to be huge for the more senior pilots. 
drawing attention to that. Now you do have the mulligan, the one-time career mulligan, and this is part of training. So you can go to the training podcast episode that we have, but basically you get the one-time mulligan to, to drop out of training and go back to your previous category. Perhaps that's covered in the, the other podcast, but in general, AEs are exciting. It's some movement opportunities. It's like Christmas every month of the year at this point. What are some of the other mechanics? What are you seeing in contract admin from pilots? Their questions, their issues, what's coming up in CA? Yeah. So the most common thing, somebody was converted that's junior to me, prior to me. If you want to, you can think of an AE as basically being split into two buckets. All right. Similar to reserve rules where there's different buckets and, and all that kind of stuff that exists. Well, that happens within the AE process. Well, once you've been awarded something, that list that comes out to say, hey, all these Atlanta 70R FOs were awarded, you know, that, that new category. If you're already an ER pilot, you don't need training. Whereas if you're coming from the 320, you would. And what kind of training at this point doesn't matter, but that AE award is going to be broken out into two silos for, in this example, the Atlanta ERFO category. And so you're going to have those that need training. They're going to be on one bucket and they're going to convert in the order that they are trained based on seniority. Whereas the non-training required pilots are just going from New York 70 RFO to Atlanta 70 RFO. They don't require training, so they're going to convert in seniority order, but at a different rate. All right. That is not an, an obligation of seniority if a non-trained pilot gets converted prior to one that does require training, because that is just how it's built into the system. So you have to first, when you're looking at the category word, and then you subsequently see a conversion list down the road within that conversion window. If you see a junior pilot to you, go back to that AE award and look to see if they required training. If they did not require training, they are completely PWA compliant to let them convert before you. All of your conversion is based off of when you complete training, not seniority. Now. If you were trained later than somebody else, there are a lot of rules that go into why uh, you wouldn't be trained in a certain time frame, And a lot of them are based off of a preference or, or a decision you chose to make, which would include, did I want to retain my vacation? And that was something you checked the box on when you bid for um, the AE itself. Same goes for, did I call out sick at any point? Did I have a military leave of absence or personal leave of absence or some kind of other leave of absence that would prevented the company from training me? when I would have been eligible to train based on seniority. So a lot of other factors that go into that conversion order and potentially out of order conversions based off of not going to training. Those are probably the main issues. Those are tricky scenarios to navigate. Like you said, a lot of factors go into it, but we tend to always look for that because the result of someone junior to you converting legitimately, then you are entitled to some pay protections which is important to a pilot. So this is why you might be scouring the convergence list and looking back at AEs and going on. And so if you have a question about that, again, 1-800-USA-ALPA is the Delta MEC. You can ask for contract admin. These are, are geniuses of a uh, contract and they can pretty quickly determine whether you're doing anything or not. But you can also submit a DART. I think that would probably be the best way to, to get a hold of contract administration. But okay, yeah, that is an important topic for AEs. And um, Ryan, one other thing I would say is we get a lot of questions about category freezes and how those things are applied. With the advent of 11G7, the training withdrawal that you had mentioned previously, that nuance of category freeze applies in various ways. 
And so when you get awarded your category, that is when your category freeze starts. And obviously there are some implementation transition items that uh, for some of the wide body categories could potentially impact the length of that category freeze as a new hire. You have some nuanced pieces to a two-year category freeze that after 12 months, you have the potential to get out of it and move to a different category, as well as then you have the first-time captain award that would also potentially trump an existing category freeze for the option to award it, but it would add two years onto the end of your existing category freeze. So there's a little bit of nuance here and there when it comes to the category freeze. We get a lot of questions about that as well. We're happy to answer those. And Unfortunately, I would love to be able to cover every scenario in the span of this podcast, but every scenario is different and typically requires a bit of research, not only with your situation, you, the individual pilot, but also what is the other pilot? Like I talked about with training requirements and such, what is the other requirements that the other pilots had or factors that may have contributed to why you didn't convert on time or something satisfied? Yeah, I understand. I do want to highlight the category freeze for new hires to help them out because the provision is you're in a two-year seat lock. However, if you need to change equipment to get to a base nearer your home of residence, then you can. Can you just hit that highlight again for us? Yeah. So this is in section 22G, uh, specifically 22G2 to get into the super nerdy PWA references here. But entry-level pilots will incur a 24-month seat lock by default. But if you're in the last 12 months of that category freeze, you could be awarded an AE um, or a voluntary displacement if those were in effect. If you're unable to be awarded an AE or PD to, to such base in your current position in a given posting, i.e. if you're a 20 pilot in Seattle, let's say, and you really would like to be based in Minneapolis, well, there is no 220 category in Minneapolis. And so in the last 12 months of that initial 24 month freeze, you can bid for something in Minneapolis, I use 737 or 320, something like that and go because the 220 doesn't exist. And there's some examples in the PWA in that section that cover those scenarios, but there's some relief as a new hire pilot to move to other, other bases. Great. Yeah. Thanks. And then drawing uh, attention to the new contract where previously, if you were awarded an AE. And then you put in for another subsequent AE and were awarded something, you'd probably go to training twice. And now that's been relieved. Yep, that is exactly correct. That's probably the most succinct way to put it. If you have two AE awards, you're only going to go to training for the second or the most recent award. And that is basically to help the company out, obviously, because they don't have to send you to training twice and then get next to no usability for you. Potentially going to training back to back month to month, that would be completely useless. So. A little bit of a, a mutual agreement on this one to allow a second award, but again, stop the training footprint from being impacted by somebody that's never going to perform the duties in that category. Yeah. And that's huge. You bid something cool that you like, and then the next month's AE, you're like, oh, that's even better. I'm going to get that. So that makes sense. And we talked about someone junior converting and, and when you go to training and all the nuances there. Also new contract provision where we'll eventually be able to bid on when you go to training. And we touch on this in the training podcast, again, a plug for that to get into those details, but from the contract admin perspective. Uh, yeah, we started discussing this with the company shortly after the ratification of the contract. I, I want to say it was April of this year. And we started talking basic mechanics. How is this going to look? What's this going to look like when you go to actually bid for the training slot that you'd like? How's this going to affect pay? 
when it comes to pay protection for senior pilots, when maybe they're not being converted in the first half or the first third of the desired window. So there's a lot of mechanics and discussions that are going on right now. We had a meeting a month or two ago to update and make sure they're on the right path and everything like that. A lot of background coding and software that goes into this process to make sure that it's done properly. And I don't have a really good estimate as to when we're going to start doing the initial runs of all of this to make sure that it matches what we intended the language to, to say and, and so on and so forth. But now that process is well underway a good seven months or so now of that process being worked to hopefully be right on time based on what the company agreed to starting in 2025. Yeah, we'll look forward to that. And that'll open up, I'm sure, a whole new box of questions because now you're bidding for when you go to training. And so now the people are junior are going to convert and uh, I gave that example at the outset, right? When you get an AE, you go into one of two buckets, either training or no training. Well, now that training bucket is going to subsequently get split into two subsequent buckets or potentially three, depending on the length of the AE. And how does that look when it comes to conversions? Because we are by default now going to have the option for junior pilots to go to training before some senior pilots based on how they've chosen to bid for training. And again, training is what dictates the conversion date for pilots and specifically when they complete training. And so that will cause a lot of consternation and confusion for pilots as if they're not paying attention to how everybody put their preferences in. So that is one of the things where we need to try to make as visible as possible is what did the pilots put for preferences and what were they awarded based off of those preferences so that those preferences are awarded in preferential order and then the conversion order and i.e. the go to training and complete training order is met properly there. There's a lot of moving parts. We're talking about it. We're trying to get the right visibility for the pilot group. And that's why you see an ex extension or expanding of what is on the conversion list, specifically with respect to the thousand hour requirements for the FARs. And we've had some CA bulletins put out this past June about that and working to make sure that pilots with less than a thousand hours are still able to verify their hours and get awarded and then convert and go to training in seniority order if they already have those hours and the pay protections associated with that if they're not, but then simultaneously making sure that everybody is still held in correct seniority order based on their own personal preferences and how the contract language is written. Very good. And we'll certainly do another podcast episode as we approach that timeline. Yeah, probably smart. It's probably a smart choice. And we'll put some other columns out there and so this is going to be a very sizable shift in how this AE process has shifting from what it has been to what it will be to make sure that we get a lot of good information out there for pilots to make informed decisions on how they bid, as well as what they can to see on the back end, so yeah. that there's little confusion as possible. We understand there will always be some misunderstandings and, and whatnot, and that's why we are here and exist to help answer those questions. But when in doubt, ask the question, don't get, and preferentially to us social media, because we all know how uh, sometimes social media can twist and morph and I heard this and blah, blah, blah. If you can come to us and get the straight answer, that would be most helpful. But obviously do your due diligence in referencing what the PWA says and what other columns we put out there to help navigate that appropriately. Yeah. And as far as conversions go, you say it's based on training or when you complete training. Seems to be some confusion on those dates, right? There, It, yeah. it, it is defined in the PWA. It's a little difficult to really ascertain at some point, but can you give us the skinny on when you should expect to convert? Yeah. Conversion date is listed in section 22 E6. All right. That's the conversion date 
it again goes into basically one of two options. The 16th of the month is the delineator for when you will convert on the conversion list. All right. If you complete trading on the 16th or earlier in a bid month, you will show up on the conversion list at the start of that bid month. If it's on the 17th or later, you'll be shown on the conversion list for the next bid month. Doesn't have any impact on anything else. That's just how it shows up on the list. So if you get confused, you don't see it, that's why. All right. Now you have to go up potentially individual schedules and, and look and reference people around you on all that kind of stuff. When it goes to the wide report, you can go look on that to see what people are scheduled for trading when complete printing your training, but that is the delineator for how you're going to show up when it comes to pay and, and everything else like that. I'd like to go to some listener mail. We have two darts insert chime here. This is from a 320 FO and this pilot is asking, I have CQ, but I also go to training for my newly awarded aircraft. Is there any way to avoid going to CQ? It seems like it's a waste to go to CQ and then start formal training for my next airplane. Well, your opinion on whether it's a waste or not, probably completely valid depending on how needing uh, you are to go to CQ. But that being said, when in doubt, always ask. So Crew Resources is, is the organization on the side of Delta that handles all the advanced entitlement. But they also have a direct line over training scheduling. And so what I would do is I'd go on to DeltaNet. I would submit a smart sheet over to Crew Resources and ask a question and say, hey, I've got this. I've also got this. What are we doing here? And nine times out of 10, they may take you out. Nine times out of 10, they may make you go. It really is up to them at that point. Either way, you're going to get compensated. And either way, fundamentally, it's not something that I would want you to stress about. It's annoying for sure. But again, be prepared to go to CQ and to initial qual, but ask the question for sure and see if we can navigate that to, to do something and free up some space for them to train some other folks. Okay. And crew resources, their contacts are on DeltaNet under scheduling crew resources and you can reach out to them. They've got their smart sheet on the right-hand side. So it'll, it's a button that says contact crew resources. Click that thing. It'll open up their smart sheet. You'll fill out their contact information and ask the question in the pre-text box. It's effectively sending them an email. It's just a very template styled email. Perfect. Thanks. Next dart we've got is from 737 Captain. I'm an avid listener of the Engage podcast. Thanks so much. What a great product. Our pleasure. Thank you. What is the deal with the company offering seats on an AE, but not actually awarding them? It seems that they're not awarding them if the training repercussions are too big. Shouldn't the company be required to award a position if it's offered? The short answer is no. Can completely emphasize with your frustration because it does give appearances and it is confusing. Now, like I said at the start of our episode, there's a box at the very bottom that shows exactly why they selected this category and why they're offering up the number of seats and what they're doing with all of this. Now, they have to, by default, have a way to get new hire pilots into the training flow. So the additional positions that they are putting onto the AE that go above and beyond what may have actually been awarded is by de design, designed to get new hire pilots into categories. So there's a caveat in section 22 that talks about unawarded positions can be given to new hire pilots. That is a constantly reflowing thing. And we just had an AE close out a few days ago. And in that initial release message, they did talk about all the unfilled positions that they had previously. They were going to keep filling those in with new hire pilots and as well as other pilots. That's their choice when they go to release that AE and what all the positions are, but they need some slack in their system to be able to bring new hire pilots in. Plus, they also don't know what the will of the pilot group is. Well, there could be a run on wide bodies. 
a run on everybody. So it could be a run going to captain, who knows? And so they have to try to give a little bit of space and wiggle room in there for them to run the operation. It's all PWA compliant with how they're doing it as of what we've been able to see. But if that ever changes and you have a question on it, by all means, ask us and we'll see if there's some discrepancy in the system and we'll consult with the company to see what we need to do to address it and fix it. Very good. Thanks for the darts. Please continue to send darts to us at the Engage podcast. It's dart.alpa.org. You can select the drop down list, communications, Engage podcast, and maybe your question will be read on the air. So do you have any fun rumors or some juice about AEs or the future coming? What can we look forward to? I think they've been relatively transparent, kind of their plan. Monthly AEs going forward. And it seems to me that they are in appreciating the ability to have that flexibility adjust a little more frequently. And they don't have the drag that previous style of doing it once every three to four months puts the strain on their system. They're able to adjust and, and stop at AEOAS if they would like to, but up to this point, it's really just the size and the scale, the scope of what it is that they're offering. So it seems like that's going to be the way that it is based off of everything we've heard from them directly going forward. I don't have any rumors. I don't have any juice. And the company makes their choices based off of their own needs as they see them, as they're trying to forecast. Uh, all the stuff we're doing right now with AEs this, this last few months, we're recording this mid-November of 2023, is all predicated on trying to get everybody right size for the summer of 2024. Again, I don't know if they have wide body orders or otherwise uh, in the hopper down the road. There's always those rumors, but as far as we can tell, they're just focused on summer 2024. No, no juicy rumors. Sorry to disappoint. Yeah, that's all right. It's always fun to, to think about that and churn up the rumor mill that the 747s are coming back and we're, we're going to order a new 777s. That, that'll be wild on social media after well they, they said on the engaged podcast the 47 is coming back that's right all right that's a easy advanced entitlements christmas every month anything else you want to add yeah just the old adage applies bid which you bid and, and expect to go to training we can do our best to fight for changes and otherwise but yeah it's up to you make sure that when you hit submit before that AE closes that's exactly what you want because that's what the company thinks you want whether you bid properly or not just like your monthly schedule that's a whole different story but know what you bid and, and expect to go do what they award you. Very good. Trevor Boswell, chairman of the contract administration committee. Thanks so much. Another hit. Appreciate it. Thanks Ryan for having us. You're listening to Engage, the podcast for Delta pilots. Follow us on Spotify, Apple podcast, or your favorite podcast platform and receive notifications when a new episode is made. 